that connection to the stars and the universe and nature around you is something that, that is so fundamental. And if you don't experience that every now and then, I think you just miss out on a lot. Like you miss out on, on, on the major, like the major part of being alive. I'm David Kepron, and this is Next Level Experience Design. Are physics and nature different things? I suppose they aren't, given that all things in nature, the universe, are bound by the laws of physics. So maybe it's not so surprising that a young physicist who loved architecture, also bound by the laws of physics, should find himself in the position of a major career path change when asked by his mother to build a small cabin for her in her backyard so she could be in nature. This was not a place to necessarily do something in nature, but to be in nature, to experience nature, to connect with it, and to get back to it in a more profound and embodied way. There's a Dutch term for what she wanted to do called Nixon, and it's a noun that means the practice of doing nothing as a means of relieving stress, idle activity, as if staring into the trees or listening to music with no purpose other than relaxation. She could spend all day in the backyard, relaxing, but noticing all of the details, the birds, the sound of wind moving through the trees, the shapes of leaves, the passing of clouds, and the changes of the quality of light over the day. As a young boy, he too felt deeply connected to nature. With his family, he had slept out under the stars, exposed to the elements, but connected to the universe and protected by his family who slept beside him. With a budget of 20,000 euros, Kaspar Scholes set off to design and build Cabin Anna, which, by the way, takes its name from his mother. Cabin Anna does more than just physically transform, engaging the inhabitants to live different experiences in various degrees of connectedness with nature. It expands as if taking a deep breath and opening to the elements, allowing the interior to become at one with the exterior. You can literally sleep under the stars as Kaspar once did as a boy. It's both simple and impeccably detailed. Everything counts. It's beautifully balanced so that nothing can be added or taken away but for the worse. And with a gentle but deliberate push, its envelope slides open along engineered tracks. That gives you a feeling of like you're shedding your clothes to bathe in nature. For Kaspar, Cabin Anna is not really about increasing space but about changing space, changing atmosphere, and changing utility, and always about bringing us back to nature and the laws of the universe and where we stand among the stars. Cabin Anna is Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water or Philip Johnson's or Mies van der Rohe's Glass Houses or Henri David Thoreau's Cabin in the Woods and Transformer, all in one. For many of us, Kaspar suggests, this requires a different attitude. You have to be willing to change your customs and how you live. Being in and with nature, of course, is a way of living from which modern society has emerged. Sure, you could say that Cabanana is about biophilic design or sustainability or addressing issues like climate change, or even just an exercise that focuses on tiny houses. But it's actually much more than that. Cabanana is an invitation to remember where we've all come from. And why it's so important for all of us, even for a little bit, to find our way back to nature. And with that, I welcome Casper Scholes to the Next Level Experience Design podcast. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. It's been um, 
an interesting warm-up that we've had a number of conversations to get you finally here. And I'm delighted because I I confessed, I think maybe in our first conversation, that I fell upon or came upon, um, or maybe it was just one of those other moments of you know extraordinary serendipity that I came across um, what you are becoming world-renowned for now, which is the Anna Project, Anna Cabin. And uh, it's extraordinary, and it's hard to describe that project within the context of a non-visual medium like this podcast, but we will get there. Uh, and I, I, I want you to first maybe give us a little bit of the trajectory. We don't typically get into deep origin stories, but yours just happens to follow one of those pathways that is, you know, requires or compels me to have you describe it because where you started and where you are now is just this extraordinary path. So give us a little bit of that history, I think from, you know, your studying in physics onward. Yeah, well, uh, thanks again uh, also for, for having me. And um, uh, I'll be happy to tell you how, uh, how this started um, about five, six years ago. And so you're right indeed that I studied uh, physics. After physics, I did the introduction year at uh, Gerrit Rietveld Academy in Amsterdam, Art Academy. And um, well, I, I've always been, I have three older brothers. I've always been the one that was always making stuff, like everyone else was playing soccer or hockey. And I was making paper mache things with the girls on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> um, and I sort of kind of lost that a little bit when I grew up and I became a teenager when I was 16, 17, 18 because somehow I started to follow more like things that had to do with drinking and pubs and partying. But then in my physics studies, which I enjoyed a lot, uh, I think it's incredibly interesting uh, direction of study, but I also found that I was refining my interest of making things. So I started making little things myself and then actually discovered 3D drawing programs. And I was mm. so extremely I mean, I found it so magical to play with this. Like, so I spent hours and hours on it. And then at some point when I graduated after physics at the ASML, the chip manufacturer, the chip machine manufacturer, my mother had this wish to build, to have a small shed in her, in her, in her backyard. And she had a budget for it, 20,000 euros at the time, um, which was very little money, still very little money. And also it's, it's one tenth of what the cabin cost today about. Um, uh, but uh, she had 20,000 euros to, for me to build it. So I moved back actually to my mother. She, she, she lives alone because my father died 11 years ago. For, and I, I thought I was going to move back for six months, for three months actually. And uh, this became 10 months because I, I, I was uh, very, um, let's say, uh, I overestimated it myself. And I uh, thought it was a small job, but it turned out to be a big job. And after finishing that cabin, uh, which was incredibly not just fun, it was also like a year with a lot of struggles because I had not, not, never done something this big. But then after that, I called my friend from uh, the, the art academy he was an incredibly good photographer and he came around to take pictures. He, he's an award-winning photographer. And he, as a friend, he came over, took pictures, which were amazing. And then we decided, let's see what we can do with the photos. Like I, I just wanted to show, I mean, I'd worked on it for 10 months. I was like this, I just want to show it to some people at least, because otherwise like it's here in the backyard of my mother in the middle of the forest. 
uh, I worked on it for 10 months. Let's try and show it somewhere. So let's send it to the, the, the biggest magazine. And if they don't post it, I can slowly work my way down to some local magazine. And then at least some people see it. But the surprise was actually we sent it to the zine and the zine placed it after a month where we didn't hear from them for a month, but then suddenly they placed it. And that was nuts. Like we got literally in, 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 I think two months time, about 10 million views. And I was completely not prepared for that. Like, uh, at some point, even my mother was watch. it was all over the news. My mother was watching, uh, Yinek, which is the biggest late night show in the Netherlands. And, and she, I never watch it, but she watches always watch it. And suddenly she <laughs> saw her own backyard in, on TV and people talking about that cabin about, so it was a really strange time for us, for the both of us, um, but also very exciting. And uh, also became top three architecture uh, project in the Netherlands that year. And I, I'm, I was just a physicist, uh, so it was very strange, uh, uh, but also fun, of course. Um, two important things to mention that happened is that uh, because of all that media attention, I received a scholarship to uh, study at the Architecture Association in London, which I, so I went to study for three years in London, which was also like an incredible experience. And the other thing is that I found someone because I got like literally uh, hundreds. I, I think every day I received, let's say, 10 to 20 emails of someone, a person, a company that, that had some idea, wanted something uh, with me. But usually you quickly or, or find that most people want to get something. And that's obviously fine, but not so many also bring something. And this guy, who is 20 years older than me, experienced entrepreneur, uh, helped me also with funds to set up slowly uh, to what we are to now. So that from that moment, we started making new prototypes because the first one was extremely basic. When I look at it now, it really looks like a hobby project. It's never finished. I'm sure two years later, it will be different again. But this feels like somehow we've been working towards, subconsciously, we've been working towards this, uh, this point. So, And this cabin can be built where I said a year ago, I said to the zine when we said last cabin, and I said, this is buildable everywhere in the world. I was a bit, again, uh, uh, overestimating myself because it's quite difficult. Two things are difficult to make something so robust that it can handle any climate, like something that handles the Dutch climate in the middle of the forest out of like where you have little wind and everything. And the climate is very modest, moderate, I mean, um, is one thing, but then putting it, which is my dream also in, in Sweden or in Canada, Nova Scotia or in Switzerland or even in Africa, because we're talking to African parks to, to put a few NS there. That is actually very difficult. It's a lot of fun to, to get there and to, to, to break our heads over it, but it's very difficult. And the other thing is to also make it reproducible in a way that it's actually a product that's always the same quality. Like if there's a lot of handwork involved, it's very difficult to get, and there's moving elements and you want everything to be perfect every time because sure. every time, so every time it's not perfect, it, it's, it's sort of a lost experience. It has to be about being in the moment. And if you have the frustration of something that doesn't work, so all our energy is in making something that is 
Like seamless. Seamless, yeah. Invincible. So there's so much in there um, that I want to try to dig into. So not only did you get the architectural scholarship to go to the AA in London, you quickly win the Dirk Rosenberg Award. You win the Radical Innovation Award in New York. You win the Design Small Building of the Year Award in London. All of a sudden, this guy who has no... And I'm an architect, so this is why I found this particularly interesting. I went to school and actually studied this, but you studied how to create computer chips or create the machines that create computer chips. You know, And yeah. all of a sudden, from paper mache to this world, all of a sudden, um, you step into the world. And I just love the... There's the there's a passion about this, but how I don't know, maybe there's something about you you put that energy out to the universe. It's a, a project of love, which I think you need to bring to something like this. And it ends up just taking off, you know, and, and it finds a place in a global community of of people who are looking for something extraordinary, different, innovative, and just finds a place. And that that is really quite amazing, I have to say. <laughs> you know, I was describing this to my wife actually the other day, and I was saying, you've got to see this project. And and I said, you know, I'm trying to understand how to describe it to her. And so now I'll try, um, if you will allow me, to yeah. try to bring a visual to a non-visual medium, which is that, uh, I, first of all, I thought, oh, well, it's like a matryoshka doll, you know, the Russian stack. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that, but not really, because those things come apart and they don't go back together and you can't combine them in different ways. And then I thought, well, it's more like if you can imagine, folks, a box of matches. Now, I know they don't make a whole, you know, matches in boxes that much anymore. But when I grew up, there were these big boxes you used to get of wooden matches that you used to go camping with. And there was an outside sleeve and an inside sleeve and they would slide on top of each other right yeah. except that in anna you have the outside sleeve which is solid and the inside sleeve is effectively made of glass and that what you do is you take this box and you you cut it directly down the center along the short axis yeah. which yeah. makes you makes four pieces right yeah. four sliding elements and then you attach those sliding elements to a base of some kind some platform that allows those pieces to slide independently of each other and telescope into and out of each other so that it gives you enormous combinations that you can get from all the pieces being closed and all the pieces being open or one being open, closed, whatever. But the interesting thing about Anna that you really talk about is that, um, and I love this analogy, it's like just like how you want to change your clothes, you know, um, is, is something you, I keep reading of a quote of yours that, you know, within seconds you can change this thing into whatever you want to do, but you change your clothes in relationship to seasons. Yeah. So so take that a piece and and describe how Anna transforms because it's it's not Mashriyoshka doll, it's not a transformer. It really, I think the best, if it, if it suits you, this idea of the, of the matchbox that slides. No, no, it's spot on for sure. Absolutely, yeah. One thing before about winning the awards, I did win, for example, the A-plus awards from Architizer. The Design Award, just to be uh, 100% correct, was a nomination and, a, and a, uh -huh. long, a long list. But anyways, just wanted to get that uh, straight. It started from this idea where um, you want to be connected as much as you can to your environment. That's one thing. Be, having grown up with, uh, brought up by my mother, who is someone that is uh, cannot stand being indoors all day. She has to get out. And also, I mean, as a teenager, many times I woke up, even in winter time, going down to get breakfast 
in the kitchen. And then I, I'm not a morning person. Uh, for a long time, I hated mornings. And then my mother would have all the windows and all the doors in the in the kitchen and in the living room. Everything was opened because she she felt like she's a morning. She she needs to get fresh air in her brain and needs to sort of. And this is sort of I, I grew up with someone trying literally to open up the whole house. So that's sort of where I would say uh, that's an important uh, key where, where everything started. And then the other thing is where um, I'm also from a family where all of us, we love hiking, we love going out, but also when there, whenever there's some water anywhere, a lake in the mountains or a river, or like we take our clothes off and we have to be in, like immediately. And, and the colder, the better. And it's really about feeling somehow that connection. And obviously water is, is amazing for that. Anyway, like being exposed with your skin to to wind, to temperature, to sun, it just feels so. It, it's so. It's such an overkill, like most traditional house where you have thick walls, and it gets worse actually. And there's a reason for that. So I'm not saying it's it's stupid, but it, it is sort of a shame that the the more we want to insulate our houses be, to become more passive, which is great, obviously. Also, the more we start closing off ourselves from the environment, because ideally you have a house that has no windows and uh, half a meter thick walls. That is the most sustainable house you can think of. And but so I wanted to do the opposite and actually say, like, I don't want to try and keep out the cold and the wind and everything, but I want to be able to control it and maybe even use mm. it. So if the sun is out and I, I, and I push out the, the outer layer and you're under the glass and it's a, even in winter, you 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 quickly heat up your space and that's also something we're working on by by making the whole cabin double glazing and 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 when it's winter time and it's minus five celsius we use celsius here in in uh, in in the netherlands and the sun gets in the heat really gets trapped so it's more of a manual way instead of getting a remote and 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 pressing i want it to be 21 degrees here which is obviously there's a reason why people want it because it's very comfortable, but you also lose a lot, a lot of stuff. It's comfortable, but you lose pretty much everything. You lose the whole connection. So by making it manual, yes, it's going to take you more work, but in the same time, that's also what you want. You want to get up from your chair. You want to get out of your bed, move everything around, enjoy all the different uh, flavors that nature is going to give to you, and also have, be literally active. Use your body. I think there's an interesting paradox in this, right? In terms of, I'm going to say human experience. We have used technology and science and the, the industry to, to develop things that, that remove those chores, right? Those physical commitments that we would have to spend our day doing, cleaning the clothes, cleaning yeah. the house, hoeing, you know, in the fields, doing all those things that were extraordinarily time consuming and energy consuming as well. And people would say, well, that's great. Well, you know, I don't want to get up from my chair. I want to be able to click the, the TV. But yeah. in doing that, I think you're right. We have made a sacrifice, right? And it's kind of yeah. like you're paying, you're paying the devil, you know, in a way here that you, you say, well, no, I don't want to get up from my couch. And then I sometimes think it's three meters, maybe at the most two <laughs> meters away from you. How, how difficult is yeah. that to get up? But I think in doing that, sure, there's convenience. 
in acquiring that sense of convenience and simplicity and ease and whatever, I think it's in a way it's made us a bit lazy in, in our mindset, but also um, it's taken us away from the immediacy of connecting to things, which right. I, which I, when you watch Kaspar pull Anna apart, I mean, slide the component pieces back and forth. I think there's something really satisfying and I, I can only tell through video what, what it feels like, but you say it takes a pull initially and then once the panels begin to move or the structure begins to move, it has a sense of, you know, a, a, a momentum on its own. Yeah. But it seems like there's something really beautiful about the idea that you have to commit to doing something and in that you have a sense of agency and it's sort of empowerment that you're making things happen in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way that changes the environment and the way it changes you within the context of that environment. Yeah, you also become a direct almost, whereas uh, often the design is finished and then the user will use that design. You, We are asking a little bit to for the user to become a creator as well, like but the creator in the moment, like how is the light gonna uh, enter this space? Uh, how is the wind gonna interact with the space? Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah. What's interesting is is um, in my house every once in a while, you know, um, and, and I think my wife does this more uh, than than I do, which is perfectly fine. I'm glad she does actually. While I think I you know fuss and and maybe grumble when she says let's move the furniture, um, there was always this recreation of the space by moving the objects with yeah. within. But but Kana totally, yeah. does something completely different. Yeah, but it's funny that you say that because like I that's also something like when I was little, I would always like every month I would have to change my room, like move around furniture. And there's it, it something like, right. you feel like you've got a new room, right? Right. So what's cool about this idea is that uh, you're not just moving furniture, which is the restructuring objects within space. You're recreating space and the space, spatial relationships of the, exactly. of the entire yeah. place. Yeah. Because uh, along a continuum of being yeah. enclosed, which I, I totally agree with you, we build houses that enclose us and we punch holes in them to give us a connection back to nature. But Anna does something very different. It changes to become nature rather than simply give you a, a portal, you know, through which you go to see nature from the inside, uh, which is very different. I think that's really brilliant. It's, and he's smiling folks. <laughs> he's going, he's going, well, yes, it is. <laughs> he's going, yes, it is. No, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, like the, the, mainly because a static house, the walls are always too thick or too thin. I mean, you're in a sunny day, you don't need all these walls. So they're only in your way. And in, in, a, in a winter, in a, in, a, in a very cold winter day, they are, they, you actually want them to be bigger. So the environment is so, it changes yeah. every second, literally. And so it's one, one perspective is the comfort but the other uh, uh, perspective is uh, the experience, and and like you say, like these these two are always sort of yeah they, they're contradicting often. Like how can I get a certain amount of comfort? It's also like biking for me always the choice: am I going to bike to work or am I going to get the car? Like it's always so easy to get the car, uh, and then you get there and it's great, obviously, because I mean yeah it's very comfortable, but. Every time you managed to actually take the bike and arrive, and yeah, you maybe sweaty, your hair is everywhere, and I. But you arrive and you never regret. Well, I, I, I never regret 
So, but every time you need to fight again, like you, every time you're back with yourself and say, okay, what am I going to do? And you again, you're like in doubt. This is so funny. And I literally like an experience from last night. Uh, now, of course you're living in Amsterdam now. So, um, and you know, for anyone who has ever been to Amsterdam, you know, you need to be careful when you step off the curb because it won't be a car that'll hit you. It'll be a, a person on a bicycle. Yeah. So, yeah. and and it's an amazing city with respect to bicycles. And I'm just laughing as you're talking about will you bike or not bike? And I have a Peloton bike that I like to ride. It's a stationary. I have a road bike. I'm a big road bike rider. And uh, but when it's raining, like last night, I, I'm, the, I'm on the Peloton bike, but I'm sitting on the couch with my wife and I'm saying, can you please encourage me to ride? Because I, I don't want to ride. Can you please, please tell me that you won't like have dinner with me unless I ride or something, getting, getting her to motivate me. Right. But it's true. Once I get my shorts on, I get on the bike and I ride for 45 minutes and go through a workout. Yeah. I get off and go. I knew yeah, I yeah, yeah. Because it because it feels great, yeah. right? Uh, but I wanted to get you to sort of build on this idea that you said in one of the, the quotes or one of the videos that I, I saw. For me, it's not really about increasing space. It's about changing space, changing atmosphere, changing utility. Could you talk to us a bit about uh, how those things are fundamentally different than, like I was saying, moving furniture around? So one of the ideas was, so how can I use tiny houses? Are is obviously an amazing movement. I think it's great and, and it's beautiful and fantastic. Um, for me, that was a starting point where I, for me personally, I realized that if when I'm in a tiny house, I also quickly get sick of it for many reasons. I'm, I'm, I'm in 20 square meters. When the weather is shit and I have to be there in there, like I, I, get, I go nuts. So, um, but how do you actually not increase the amount of square meters, but increase, let's say, the quality of these 20 square meters and, and how, mm. how you use the, these square meters. And then, so the first thing you start to do, okay, how can I, which is sort of you moving your furniture around, it's like, okay, how can I make the furniture flexible in such a way that they fold out and that my cupboards are very smart. And that it's something also that like is involved in every uh, tiny house project, obviously, because you want to be effective with your space. But that's one thing that that helps you a little bit with using it in different ways and being more effective. But then you still have uh, that space is basically always the same, like the, the atmosphere, the the um you basically locked up in the end you're just locked up in, in another thing and yeah. it's there to protect you so it's great but you uh have to make like you have to get out of it um right. which is fine you can also i mean that's great if you sleep there and, and you go out during the day it's, it's obviously fine but anna with anna we want to try to get all the changes that happen outdoors the little changes and it's also something that uh, really started with my mother how she can be in a chair in her backyard all day and she's not it's not like it sounds like she's very lazy she's not lazy but she's just she's like almost like what for some people would be like a psychedelic trip i suppose like you can just be there <laughs> in that same spot and all day you're watching everything that catches your eye and then she's yeah. like yeah. and I, I would phone her at the end of the day and then she can tell me about uh, all these little things that happened in the backyard, the ducks and the, and the birds and how the one of the, the magnolia, for example, was unfolding. And all these details come alive when you're in the middle of them. 
And, and so it's, again, it's sort of overkill to put, yes, it's effective to put yourself in, in this kind of confined uh, space with closed walls, but you lose everything else. So right. that's why if you start moving with these layers, so one layer is glass, the other way layer is, is uh, wood, and you can also move both layers away. Like you started saying with this matchbox, there's endless possibilities in how you can let outdoors uh, in. And so you start to play with light, with uh, sound, with, uh, uh, with smells, with atmosphere. And, and yeah. so that room can, in theory, will never bore you. What I'm really interested here is that, uh, of course, there's a sustainability track. There's a, a biophilic track, uh, which is also on the rise as a way of thinking about design. And, you know, we've become, like you said, we've become really good at, at creating these boxes for us to do our things in, either for living or for working or other things that we would engage in, you know, uh, community you know, making and those kinds of things. Uh, but there's also been over the years, a huge rise in, you know, we now know what is a sick building syndrome that we, we create these hermetically sealed boxes. The air is terrible. The light is usually fluorescent and bad. Yeah. We don't really give people connections to the outside. And then lo and behold, people end up being sick yeah. or, you know, uh, absenteeism rises and all these other things. It, it seems to me that, um, Anna is a solution for, I don't know, it kind of feels like a solution for also regeneration, you know, a sense of recon it's reconnecting to nature for sure. But that in that, it's such a healthy choice, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, um, we have a program now here with the, here you have a life, what's it, life insurance? I'm not sure. Health insurance. Everyone mm -hmm. has to have a health insurance and they, when you get sick, they 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 will uh, pay for for uh, your recovery, but then there's one of the big ones is called uh, Zilverkaiser Mea, and part of that company is called Pimelier, and Pimelier is actually high end. It's uh, what they do. They train top managers as top athletes. Athletes saying like if you have to be so effective all day, you have to make sure that your mind and your body are in perfect state. Sure. And they uh, connected with us to say, okay, well, we, we now, like uh, maybe 10 years ago, everyone thought it was silly to ask someone to look at a tree for, for a whole day. But now actually they are doing re research uh, with uh, uh, scientific data. What happens to people if they actually look at a tree for a whole day? And they're doing that with the top managers in the Netherlands. And now we're actually starting as of uh, 15th of November together with them that people, uh, these managers are actually staying in Anna in the forest for three full days long, 72 hours. And uh, the only thing they do is like they may visit once or twice and have like for half an hour, an hour, have a chat and give them some direction. But the rest, they're, they're alone. And they're also uh, encouraged to sleep, to find this connection with nature. So to slide all layers away and sleep in the outdoors. And that and they have no phone. They can only write stuff with pen and paper. And um, all they do all day is just connect to nature, basically. And the results that they have been finding, because now we start to do the three-day program we've been doing with them, uh, shorter programs. And... So I'm going to be extremely excited to see 
going to happen sure. after this because we already have very promising results with them and i think it's going to be just uh, extremely uh, exciting to see what's going to happen you know there are a lot of studies uh, in the biophilic design world where um, giving patients post-operative um, experiences that have a connection to nature versus none uh, decreases the number of days that they will stay in the hospital to yeah. recover. Um, they 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 feel better. They get better quicker. Yeah. Um, they're released, you know, in a better state of mind. And it's such a key thing. And it's not surprising to me that the whole idea of forest bathing, you know, yeah. has become a, a, a key, you know, something that we all are, are hearing more about, maybe not necessarily doing. But there was a great book that I, I uh, read years ago. And it talked about some of the most creative minds in the world and how those creative minds came to some of those, those um, solutions for problems they were facing. And it turns out that a lot of authors, a lot of creative people, Steve Jobs, I, I mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, he'd go on all his big meetings and he'd go on walks, you know, and he'd walk outside and he'd be in nature and he'd make these connections. And there is very clearly a, a, a strong correlation between positive sense of well-being or a sense of um, you know inner peace when standing in nature versus standing in the middle of Fifth Avenue yeah. um, at you know and or, or thirty in the middle of Times Square in New York very different yeah, which world, is also right? very exciting to be obviously but uh, yeah it's different yeah. I wanted to ask you this question because you touched on your mom being in the garden and spending hours there seeing the details, which, by the way, um, I think we can all agree, we don't often do, right? We, yeah. we, don't, we, we sort of race from one thing to the next. We don't take time to proverbially smell the roses. Being in the garden is that opportunity to take a pause. But you said something that piqued my curiosity. She, said she, she saw all the details. And one of the things that you will notice when you watch the videos of Anna happening and closing and, and you're walking through describing the pieces is the details are remarkable. Um, they're simple, um, but I don't mean simplistic, but the trusses, the structure of the trusses, the, the details of the rollers and the casters that you use, how the walls come together and close, the pieces that close the seams between things. Everything is so well considered. Can you talk about how you came to these decisions? Were you making them up as you went? Did you have it all figured out? Was it trial and error? How did you get to that level? Because the details, it's in the details and it's, it's extraordinary. Well, thanks a lot. Um, uh, well, uh, it's, it's both because I start where we are today is also very different from where uh, I started six years ago, five, six years ago. Basically, and, and I, I mean, I'm going to be talking a lot about my mother, as you notice, but it also, the, the, the first design was really me sitting down with her and, and, and we just spoke about what is, what the, what is this going to be and, uh, and uh, what does it have to, what is this cabin going to bring to you and to this place? And we, we spoke about this for multiple times for hours uh, from that sprung what what Kevin Anna became but and then I think that so that that is really careful consideration of some very fundamental emotions that definitely start with mother and also she uh, I inherited from her but <laughs> then like to turn that into something physical which the cabin is so the question is how can it be connected 
actually period that's it how can it be connected in everything i do or well you can make the sentence as long as you want but basically comes down to how can i be connected and then from there i mean being uh, in the end i'm a very practical person probably from my physics background like you you have to if you want to solve something you better just uh, start one step at a time and and just build your uh, reasoning up from there it just starts how can i how can i um have a house that consists of four pieces that slide within each other and so some details will come from how can you solve this and, and still make sure that if it's closed it's completely sealed and it's waterproof and it's windproof and so you mm. have to be careful with the uh, details for it to work because like things are sliding you you have to be very precise but the other thing is i think that i just love things that yeah I, I things have to be perfect in the end like people ask me or friends ask me wow you're still busy with your cabin like and it's a fair enough obviously it's <laughs> a, because i've been spending uh, five years on it on in the, in the beginning maybe less uh, not full-time but now full-time but the, the cabin is also it's completely different it might not be from when you see it at first but every detail is constantly evolving and oh, yeah. that's the fun yeah. like i think for me even if anna is the only thing i will do the rest of my life i think i rather do one thing really really well and even if it's a little thing is that my thing i do and then i'll do it as as well as i can i'll make it the most amazing thing it is and then that's it i mean i don't see the point of doing 10 things halfway yeah, rather do right. one like all the way the upside of what you're creating now, and I think it becomes obvious, um, it starts as a simple idea for a backyard cabin for your mother, uh, which you will say, I think the original was cab, uh, Anna Origin, right? I mean, this, so the Origin cabin is very different than where you are now with creating resorts and retreats and other things. I loved uh, in a previous conversation, you said, you know, the goal is to be able to build one in Nova Scotia, yeah, <laughs> which, which as a Canadian, I think, all right, let's go to Nova Scotia. Um, but also Nova Scotia presents a whole host of other challenges. Yeah. So this Canada in that area, right, goes literally plus 20C to minus 20C or minus 60C, depending, yeah. you know, in, in so the range of temperature just poses all kinds of other challenges architecture yeah absolutely yeah 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 but that that's why i am but that's also the drive right i mean like uh i think that's what makes this fun is to like i can see this cabin already built in nova scotia and, and i've it's probably for five years has been in my head one of the because i want to with the radical innovation award i had to make a video for sort of or I had to deliver a video as an introduction for my project and there i already included nova scotia as sort of a fictional location for my project so since then that's been in my head and most people will say ah, it's completely ridiculous come on like there's so many places in the world you can put it but it's also the why, why nova <laughs> scotia of why all places, places. yeah but zero tourist is island i mean no <laughs> why don't you <laughs> I mean, it's really a place where uh, not many people, I mean, obviously people go there, but it's an incredibly beautiful place. I haven't even been myself. It is. I will go there. I don't know if it's next year or the year after or the year after, but for maybe, I'm just saying like from a com commercial point of view, it's maybe not the mm -hmm. most smart place to do it. But by, by, because I have that in my mind, 
all the design decisions are also driven by that. Like first time uh, we mentioned, okay, we want to have double glazing in this cabin. Like the first 10 people are going to say you're nuts because like you already have 10 problems you need to solve by uh, putting double glazing in, making everything more heavy. And so the, the momentum is much stronger. So it's not just mm -hmm. that your trusses have to be much stronger. Also, your brake system has to be like better be extremely reliable. Um, mm -hmm. Well, all these things, there's a million extra problems you'll find. But so you can also decide not to just say like, I don't want to go to Nova Scotia. But I think that sort of the the challenge, the, the drive for innovation is really by having this, uh, yeah, I think doable, but... Uh, it does go back to the original premise, though, I think, in terms of how you see Anna as an opportunity to experience different seasons, right? And, and, and in your videos that you do, and you describe how the cabin transforms to adapt to seasons. In the fall, it would be like this. In the spring, it might be like this. And when it's slightly raining outside and slightly cooler, it would be like this, etc. But by choosing places that have very different climactic conditions than the Netherlands, you're forcing yourself to still think about how does this object for living, for experiencing nature adapt to those circumstances. But that to me seems to be the big design challenge, right? Like you said, you know, add more glass means you're going to have more casters yeah. or rollers or different braking systems. Um, when you're dealing with swings of weather, you've got condensation and air travel and moisture travel through the envelope. I mean, there's all kinds of things Absolutely. that become... But as, a, as an architect, right, or someone who studied at the AA in, in, in London, those are the big challenges that we're always given, yeah. right, as design challenges. You know, one of the things I, th I thought about, this idea uh, of Anna, and again, um, the photography is beautiful. I mean, literally, is a, the whether it's in the evening where the light on the inside tends to make it glow like a jewel box, you know, um, to uh, the aerial views that you show as it, it moves and transforms. And it sort of feels sometimes like it's breathing, like, like lungs are expanding and you have that sense of, you know, inhalation of the, of the nature, right? Um, but the details, I want to go back to this for a second because it reminds me of a couple of, of things. One, Einstein. Right. So no, you describe it very beautiful. Um, well, I want to get onto your PR team because I think I could add value. <laughs> so, but uh, but it reminds me of two things, and now I'm going to re I'm going to align Anna and you with like some of the bigger minds of our time. Thank so you. Einstein <laughs> said, you know, everything everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. Yeah, yeah. And I I think the there there's a great quote or definition of beauty, and I believe it's Le Corbusier who said something like, and I'll paraphrase here that um, beauty is the sum of all things so that nothing could be added or taken away, but for the worse. Um, and it's, it really is about this the balance between things. Um, it doesn't mean you don't have a lot of things or, or, or no things, but it's just that you have the perfect combination of things yeah. that if you remove something, it diminishes. If you add something, it diminishes. And it seems like Anna fits in that space. Um, you know, which is, which is, I think makes it, makes it beautiful. I think in the, in, in those. Yeah. Terms. Well, thanks a lot. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, yeah, I'm very flattered by what you're saying, but yeah, I, I think where we still, where you started saying like it, the, the challenge of, it is also, um, Anna is an attempt to get to that connection. And I want to make this attempt the very best attempt I can make, but it's, it's more about the topic, obviously, like. I, I can feel. I feel like this can be a topic I can work on for another 
40 years because there's obviously so many ways of dealing with this topic and it doesn't even have to be a canon. Like it can also be, uh, so you're saying like taking things away, put, maybe I will try and keep trying to make Anna as close to what you're saying, like the beauties in, in like the perfection of that object. And, and you cannot mm. add something, you cannot take something away from it. But that doesn't mean that there's also not 10 other ways of making the same attempt and that come yeah. from a different direction. And um, I think that's why, I mean, I'm just, this topic is just so stuck in my mind. And there's one article, I actually, I should have sent it to you from Rainer Benham. Uh, it's my favorite article of all time. Uh, Home is not a house. I think the title is Home is not a house. And I read it only a few years after I, I built the first cabin. But he describes in like, okay, he, he starts from zero. I'm sitting in the forest. How can I sort of get to a point to, to a certain level of comfort without building a house? So I can live by this tree. How can I actually add some equipment? Uh, and then he talks about how the car and convertible can sort of already almost be your your house there. You have your radio, you have a heater, you have like, and he tackles, and then he actually goes back to uh, the first space that was created by man, which was actually a fire, a campfire. So when people made the first fire, they created the space because the light in the dark has sort of a, has, has, has a certain area that's lit by the fire in, in, a, in a spherical shape, despite the things that will block it though, which change that shape. But then there's also the heat of the fire. So there's a wind that's coming from one direction, blowing that heat in another direction. So the shape of the heat might actually be completely different, uh, overly shaped or uh, uh, depending on how strong the wind is. But then he also describes like, okay, this is sort of this two very important ingredients, actually light and heat, which are very, for us, very important ingredients to be comfortable. And then he describes how you can actually choose your position around the fire to play with these ingredients because like you can sit maybe on the windy side which will be colder and still have the same amount of light to read your book or you do the opposite and i think that fundamental thought of how you home is not a house don't start thinking uh with bricks or or, or wood or like just start thinking from how can I be human? How can I be a modern human being while still have that same fundamental connection? And that's why like Anna is an attempt in that same mindset, but it can also be maybe in, in 20 years, we have clothing, literally clothing that, and there's already many projects around that, that, that have yeah. all this kind of functionality inside that will bring you some kind of comfort, but you can still, you don't have to live in a house like and also what happens to our phones which was for a while we had to sit behind our desks but now it's, it's right. literally this small so i can already in theory i can sit under a tree and 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 have a, a successful working day we're not quite yet, there yet because there's other things but i think that attempt is is extremely um exciting yeah, this is like you're talking. I'm going, well, okay, uh, here's a whole other area to dive into <laughs> now, right? Because I think what you talk, and this is a, a 
an idea that is very dear to me, um, which is the difference between creating spaces and places. And I, I love the analogy or the metaphor of dancing around the fire. We created place long before we had structures to go into because the simple dancing or stamping of the dirt around a burning fire it created place because you knew and you intrinsically or intuitively understood the meaning of being within and without from the inside or the outside simply by that line right. that is defined around the fire that when you're on the inside of that ring, it's a very different experiential place than it is on the outside. And the definition of those zones don't need to be created by walls. Yeah, absolutely. Right? They can be they can be created, like you said, by the the level of heat or the radiation of heat or the radiation of light. And where the light drops off, there's this this transition zone, which I think is really interesting as an architect to explore the idea of transition moving between. And if I use that as a way to also think about Anna, um, you in, in whatever iteration or configuration you create, you have these ideas of transitions moving from within and without and in between, uh, which I think is really intriguing on a sort of a philosophical level. Yeah. You know? uh, and I love the idea of fire and light yeah. and telling stories within the context, because that to me is the origin of culture and the sharing of narratives and stories of experience around. Fire. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, by going back to that fundament, I think we can also start to reimagine, yeah, life and and, and work. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, incredibly fascinating. Anna is incredibly complex in its meaning, in 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 how it tends to solve some really interesting challenges. There have been glass houses that have been made before. Philip Johnson made one. Mies van der Rohe made one. A lot of architects have have thought through this idea of building a glass house in the forest and why. But Anna also attacks, I think, a very timely challenge for us, which is about sustainability, about global warming issues. And I wondered if you had any sort of thoughts about how this project um, tries to answer some of those challenges. Anna never started off as a project to, to try and tackle climate change, for example. Mm. It, it came from a fundamental desire to connect, to connect with nature. But um, I think that is also like, we will make sure that the way NS produced and, and, and built on site is the most sustainable way we can do. But I think that's, that is an obligation that everyone has with, with what, whatever, uh, whatever they do. So it's not something we in somehow uh, advertise, but uh, what, what is very uh, fundamental is that if every time someone sleeps in Anna, something can change even though a little bit in that person. So, I mean, it's so incredibly easy to forget about the force of nature, the, the, what it brings to you every time you go there. And many people, you probably also know very well, when you go there and take a couple of hours or longer, to take it all in, to go on a hike alone or with, with, with a friend or your wife or something happens always. Um, even though, even if a little bit, if you sleep in nature, uh, and, and that's another very strong memory uh, of mine, is that where we would go, uh, my father and mother would rent a house 
in, in the south of France when I was little and with my three brothers also with the four of us with, so with the six and there would always be one night in a, on a, on a, on a uh, with a clear sky that we would go out in the field and we would sleep the whole night uh, in the field and I would be laying in between as a smallest in between my brothers and my father and my mother and this moment where you somehow I felt protected by them around me but then same time you feel extremely naked because there's no protection around you of the house so all the noises all the, the wind the, everything is is so close and it is scary it's very scary but then same time feeling protected by my family it was actually the most exciting it's probably one of the most exciting things I used to do when I was a child and also something that I will never forget this experience and I still every year I want to sleep one or twice rather more uh, just out in the open no tent nothing in, in, in nature when you wake up in nature I, I, I sort of feel also there's a connection to when you wake up next to your loved one like somehow you need to there's something in wake there's something in being in nature and, and, and bathing in nature like you, you said you mentioned before but waking up in nature or having yourself woken up by nature by the by the by the animals by the wind by the sunlight the first sunrise and rays in the morning that is another level and i think if we can seduce people to come and stay over at anna and make it we make it very easy for people to sleep outdoors because uh, if things are if it's too intense it gets too scary or it gets too uncomfortable you just close one or two layers maybe one and you sleep under glass or two and you're completely protected and indoors but in the same time they're just there like you can you can get up and and close everything so that also makes it easy to just sleep in your comfortable bed under your thick blankets out in the open and and fall asleep with the wind in the trees obviously talking about stars always has this sort of it starts to sound very cheesy and very uh romantic but it is of course but there's also a reason why it's mentioned uh, so often and why, why it's such an important thing in stories and in films because that connection to the stars and the universe and nature around you is something that, that is so fundamental and if you don't experience that every now and then i think you just miss out on a lot like you miss out on on, on the major like the major part of being alive so if we can touch people if only a little bit every now and then by giving them a space where they can have that sort of experience and they bring that back home and they maybe start to actually think differently about nature and 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 how to treat nature and maybe how to spend money on nature because it's the one thing we somehow don't like to spend money on that is something is is much more uh, at the heart of Anna than than that the actual building is is uh, it is it is sustainable. It's a wooden cabin which is uh, fabricated in a very conscious way. But the other thing is much more important, like what happens in your in your mind and in your heart when you're in uh, Anna. I love the idea that Anna is it's this transformative vehicle 
for reconnecting back to nature. You know, we all get in our cars now and we drive. We go we go on a weekend drive to to nature to reconnect to those things that are um it, it's from it's from where we came. Yeah. You know, and I I think there is an alarming set of statistics that suggests that humankind will continue to live more in cities than they will yeah. in the outer areas. Yeah. And I am uh I have been um, excited from the moment that I saw Anna and delighted that you've been able to come and share the, the journey and the passion about creating this reconnection to nature. I think it's fundamentally who we are and something that we desperately need to be able to reconnect to nature, to be able to, I think, reconnect to ourselves and to others. Absolutely. So Kaspar Skulls, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you it's, so been, much. Um, it's been wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. I hope we continue the conversation one day. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Next Level Experience Design. And please remember to subscribe and share with all your friends wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out notes and links and other information like transcripts on the Next Level Experience Design webpage at simplecast.com. Also, follow me on social at LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all of the information about upcoming shows and information on our guests who every day are taking it to the next level.